to, to be here with all of you, to be back at the university. Uh, I don't usually dedicate talks to people, and by that I mean I've literally never done that before. Um, but tonight I would like to dedicate this to um, my best friend who's not watching, um, but maybe you can see the recording later. Uh, so how many years ago? So 2009, 2008, 2009, we were RAs together in Tommy, uh, and I kind of had a crush on her. Um, but our friendship endured through that, uh, and we are, yeah, we're, we're, still super close. Um, her husband actually works for Eden Invitation. I am the godmother of their daughter, who is a wild thing. Uh, and <laughs> yes, that will be on the internet for posterity. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I couldn't help but reflect on that. You know, as I was preparing for this talk, I think, um, you know, as we, we can't, if we're talking about sexuality, right, we can't help but talk about uh, our longings for intimacy, right? And if we're talking about our longings for intimacy, we can't help but talk about all of those relationships that are beyond sexuality, right? Uh, we can't help but talk about our friendships. We can't help but talk about those places um, where, where we receive um, emotionally, right? Where we receive mentally, where, we, where our soul is fed uh, in friendship with other people. Um, and so I'm so grateful that Father Jonathan uh, kind of included this uh, in, in the sessions, you know, because I think, again, it can be easy, especially, again, if we're talking kind of this like human sexuality symposium, it can be easy sometimes to think of relational intimacy, maybe strictly in terms of like romantic relationships, um, or perhaps even in terms of just like kind of incredibly close, like best friendships. And um, I know sometimes maybe if you've been coming to some of these other sessions, these other talks on like men and women and chivalry and modesty, like it can be easy to make like a mental jump uh, to like marriage as life's end game or something. You're staring at me like you can't relate, but I know you can. Um, the truth is like we all exist in a network of relationships, right? Jesus existed in a network of relationships. In the incarnation, like he doesn't kind of remain. Um, well, first of all, he exists in the network of relationship that is Trinity, right? Um, God is this network, this Trinitarian relationship. And then God comes down to be with us in the person of Jesus Christ and models these kind of systems of support, models these different styles of friendship, these different types of relationships. Um, he comes to be with us in intimacy and also to invite us uh, to love one another, right? As he loved us. Um, to love one another as friends. That's what he says at the Last Supper, right? Like, he doesn't say, like, I have called you servants. In fact, he says, I have not called you slaves, right? I, I have called you friends. And we, too, are made in the image and likeness of God who is love, who is Trinitarian love. Uh, the Compendium of Social Doctrine of the Church says this, the revelation, the mystery of God as Trinitarian love is at the same time the revelation of the vocation of the human person to love. That was a long sentence with a lot of little words, so I'm going to read it again. The mystery of God as Trinitarian love 
is at the same time the revelation of the vocation of the human person, each and every human person, to love. Right, we have this vocation to love and intimacy um, that, that's Trinitarian, right? God reveals ways that he wants to love us and ways that we can love one another. Uh, so tonight, I kind of want to look at, kind of use that Trinitarian framework to look at different types of friendship, to look at different types of relationship. Um, and, and why do I care about this? Uh, why am I so passionate about this? If, if you couldn't tell from my little reference at the beginning that I don't know if it caught you off guard. Um, but I, you know, so again, I went to Franciscan. I was, I was raised Catholic. I went to the Steubenville conferences. Um, but I remember like being this kid at the Steubenville youth conferences and like men's and women's session and hearing all these talks about like chastity. And I remember being like, okay, so, but like, if I have a crush on my friend, I think I like my friend who's a girl. Like, does this talk apply to me? What do I do? do exactly? Who do I tell? Where do I go? Um, and I, I just kind of figuring it out, right? Figuring it out along the way. Um, and again, just like coming to Franciscan, majoring catechetics theology, doing the whole Jesus thing. Um, but I noticed that the older I got, um, so Maybe you guys aren't there yet. But the older I got, you know, the more like my fridge started getting covered up um, with like marriage invitations. You know, maybe you already have a few. Maybe you're like a freshman or sophomore that's super involved in household and you like already have been to a few weddings. Um, I was like 18 when I went to my first household wedding. So cool. They invited me. Um, she wasn't 18. She was a senior. Okay. Don't, don't, you know, don't worry. Um, but you know, it, you start to see this, you start to see these people kind of landing in maybe these, these per permanent states of life, these permanent vocations. And you're kind of wondering like, what, what is there for me? Right. What, what do these networks of relationship, these systems of support look like in my life? Um, especially if the people I tend to fall for are not really people that I'm going to marry, right? Because church teaching. Um, and where does that leave me, right? And so I think one of the things that's been a big part of my own life, my own journey, is this call from the Lord uh, to broaden my concept of community, right? To dive deep into like intentional, real, gritty friendships. Um, and again, I, I really believe that this is modeled in who God is, right? And it is modeled in the life of Jesus. So that's what we're going to look at. Um, that's what we're going to look at tonight. Kind of this invitation to relational, relational intimacy um, that's kind of diverse and, and multifaceted. Um, and it's important, right? John Paul II, um, in his encyclical on the Redeemer of Man, writes, uh, Man cannot live without love. His life is senseless if love is not revealed to him if he does not encounter love, if he does not experience it and make it his own, if he does not participate intimately in it. And I think we too, we, we all have reasons that we both crave and fear relational intimacy, right? Everybody's got reasons for that, right? That, that probably ebb and flow in different, different times of life. Um, and so one of the things I want to do is we kind of look at each of these three types of relationship. Um, I also want to emphasize 
before we get to the human element, uh, the element of relational intimacy with God. Right? Because I could be up here and I could be like, here are 10 tips for great friends. And you'll never be worried about your future spouse again. Because your friends are awesome. Um, <laughs> but the truth is, like that, that's not going to cut it. right? We need to be in touch and in intimacy um, with our Lord. Um, and I think Jesus really models that for us. right? So if we look at kind of this first movement of friendship, um, specifically kind of thinking about this in terms of God the Father, right? Looking for places um, to rest, right? Looking for places to receive relationships uh, where somebody else is just lavishing love on us. And Jesus models this. We see this so clearly in the life of Christ when Jesus goes time and time again to the deserted places, he goes to deserted places. He goes to be in the synagogue as well, right? He goes into churches. He's 12 when he like sneaks away from his parents for the first time. Um, you know, whether or not it was sneaking, eh, maybe up for debate for scripture scholars. But he does, you know, kind of sneak away to go be in his father's house, right? This seeking of intimacy with the father. I think for us too, right? There's this relational intimacy that we're invited into with with Abba, right? With our Papa, with God. We're invited to go away and rest a while to receive love, to receive worth, <laughs> to receive our name spoken over us by God himself. And in human intimacy, we need a relational intimacy with people who model the gaze of God the Father. Right, again, we see this in the life of Jesus, right? Jesus chose to live in a household where he received the love of his mother and father who were older than him, sort of, in a way, right? <laughs> like, developmentally, at least, is humanity. I don't know. I hope I'm not saying a heresy. Um, <laughs> right, but he receives. And we see this even in his public life. Like, Luke talks about how there were, like, wealthy women that just, like, followed the apostles around and, like, fed them, you know, like St. Francis had Lady Jacoba, yes, um, who baked him cookies, apparently, right? So we see this too. You think of like St. Augustine, right? Receiving teaching from Ambrose, receiving the love of his mother, St. Monica. So we see this in the lives of the saints, right? We need these relationships that aren't entirely reciprocal, right? Places that we can just be that we can rest, that we can be still and like let down our guard. Right, practically, again, this is going to look like typically like older people uh, who maybe seen more than us in life, right? They have some spiritual wisdom, family members, um, just like mentors, it could be spiritual mothers and fathers, it could also be professionals we pay to receive us, like therapists. Sometimes we need those too. Um, you know, there's, there's different ways that we receive this household life is somewhat set up for this dynamic, right? Upperclassmen kind of like cultivating by example this sort of like safe space for underclassmen to like go and to show up. Um, I think another note too is that this, this receptivity, this receiving, um, it isn't just like a resting, like it's not just like taking a nap as someone like 
is kind to you. Um, Cause too, like people, like in, even in these relationships, right? Like people will call you on, right? They'll push you, they'll encourage you. Um, and again, in the life of Jesus, we see that like, not only does he go away to a deserted place to receive the gaze and the love of his father, but he also comes to do the will of the father, right? There's an action, there's a resolution, a resolve that comes from that place of rest and of receptivity, right? This reception of authentic love that like makes us want to like do better and be better. And I think it's super important to mention this first, um, right? Because I think as the, especially as the result of the fall, as a result of broken relational dynamics, um, we probably all have areas where our receptivity is a little wanting, right? Areas where there is, there is an absence, areas where maybe we didn't receive the gaze of God um, mediated through those around us. Um, maybe that's from family members. Maybe that was a teacher who yelled at you all the time and made you feel like crap. I don't know what it was, right? Like, I don't know what that was in your life. Uh, maybe it was older siblings that like neglected you or, or bullied you in some way, right? Um, we all have these areas of somewhat of kind of like broken relational dynamics. Um, and if we're not first, one, going to God, but also two, like going to places where people are there, just there to like show up and love on us, right? Um, we're going to look for that in places that we can't always get it, <laughs> right? Um, I think this is critically, critically important to have these sorts of relationships in our lives. And, and towards the end of the talk, I'll kind of go through like, okay, what are some practicals for each of these dimensions of relationship? Um, but that's kind of the quick overview of this, again, this place to rest, this place to receive, uh, to receive the love of the Father. I think as well, too, we also need in our lives and in friendship, these places of, of reciprocity right? People to like live alongside these places of, of mutuality. Um, we need a relational intimacy uh, with Christ as, as brother. And Jesus, again, like models this for us, right? He comes to meet us in the level of our humanity and he surrounds himself like with a fraternity, right? With a brotherhood. Um, and not only that, right? But you, we know he's close friends with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Like he has these people in his lives that he chooses to, to let in to a part of himself, right? We see at the last supper, like John, like resting his head, right? On Christ's chest. Like there's an intimacy there, a real relational intimacy um, that Jesus reveals to us um, in the gospels. And so I think for us, like obviously we can't like go around and like high five Jesus. Um, but we can, however, like encounter Jesus's humanity in like the prayerful reading of the gospels, uh, we can encounter him in, in the sacraments, right? Where we see Christ, especially in the Eucharist. <laughs> um, and also too, in that reciprocal relationship, we can expose our own humanity to Jesus, right? He who reveals his own humanity to us, which is seen so poignantly uh, in the passion, right? Where Jesus is pierced. Um, he suffers, he's betrayed, right? We see this vulnerable humanity of Jesus. He offers that to us. And so us too in our own prayer, I hope, I hope in our prayer dynamic, we're not just like offering, you know, 
praise to a distant, you know, a father that's a transcendent God, right? We're not just, that's good and that's important, but I hope also we're receiving the, the imminent God, right? The near, <laughs> the near dimensions of God as well. Um, and opening our own humanity uh, to him. And I think too, within this dimension of like reciprocity and mutuality, it's also, I think, important to note that there's a spousal imagery with Christ, right? Uh, we see this, um, particularly Paul talks about this, right? In relationship between Christ and the church, but we are the church, right? There's a spousal imagery with Christ that isn't just for the ladies, right? Okay. There's a reality that like the song of songs, guys, maybe you should pray with it too, right? Like there's a reality of like Christ's intimacy, like John of the cross. If you ever read him, Carmelite mystic, um, he, he encounters this, right? The deep love of the bridegroom. Um, maybe we're not there yet, but, um, it is a poignant image, right? It's a poignant image for this kind of living alongside that Jesus wants to do with us, right? In a uniquely intentional and deeply vulnerable way. Again, we should be opening up our humanity to Jesus. And we're invited too to do this with people close to us, right? So kind of on this level, this mutuality, reciprocity of, of friendship, right? Places to give, um, but also to receive people that are like on the journey with us, right? That are like keeping pace with us uh, in the spiritual life. And I know like there's, at least I know some of this is like geared towards freshmen. I don't know how many freshmen are actually in the room, um, but it might take some time, you know, to like find your people. Um, the, the best friend that I mentioned, um, we were not friends freshman year. I thought she was a weirdo. Um, so people grow, people change, right? And just because people love Jesus doesn't mean you'll like all be best friends, which you've probably already encountered in your households. Um, everybody's got their quirks. We know it. I'm not everybody's best friend. Um, that's okay. Right? We can only kind of sustain like a limited number of some of these close relationships. And again, we see this in the life of Christ, right? Seeking out these particular relationships um, of friendship with the apostles, places just to show up, right? To do life. You know, St. Francis, for those of you that have been over in Austria and gone on pilgrimage to Assisi and been down in the tomb of St. Francis, I mean, talk about like friendship for the long haul, right? Like those guys are buried together. You know, like St. Francis's tomb is in the middle and here's all their four brothers, surround, their burial sites are surrounding Francis's tomb, right? They're with each other, um, even in death, right? Um, we see these deep bonds of mutually fruitful friendship in, in Felicity and Perpetua, David and Jonathan, like Ignatius and his founding Jesuit brothers. Um, is it okay to mention a Jesuit at a Franciscan talk? Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> you won't edit that out. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. But the importance again of this, of this reciprocity. And again, I'll talk about some practicals in a bit. I think with this desire, you know, to be alongside, I think it's also important to note the dynamic of attraction, right? Um, I mean, what is marriage if not like being alongside somebody for till death do you part, <laughs> right? 
And I think this dynamic of attraction, again, it can arise um, to both the same or, or the opposite sex, right? The catechism talks about how the number of people who experience same-sex desires is not like a negligible number. You know, like statistically, it's like a, at least a few rows of this room, right? Just statistically, you know? Um, And this can be experienced right a few different ways, right? These stirrings of attraction, love, and responsibility in particular. John Paul II um, talks about these different dimensions, right? Of like sexuality or like physical arousal, but he also talks about sensuality. This like stirring of the heart, this stirring of the emotions is kind of these two forms or modes of, um, of desire, right? That we experience. And no matter who we are, I think it's super important to note, again, in these relationships of mutuality, these relationships of reciprocity, um, the virtue of chastity, right? The Catechism talks about chastity as the integration of sexuality within the person. And what is integration, right? What what does that mean, right? Integration, uh, etymologically speaking, uh, means of the whole. Right? So if I'm integrating my sexuality within my person, what that means is I'm recognizing the place that sexuality plays, not only in my own life, but also in light of God's plan and God's design. Right? The church says that every person must accept their sexual identity. Right? And when the church says sexual identity, she means it as male or female. Right? Sexual identity um, would be kind of what culture says is like biological sex, right? Um, So the church invites us to accept our sexual identity, to accept our maleness, to accept our femaleness. Um, And within that, right, within my sexual identity is also the reality of my complementarity, right? Uh, Both for women and for men, like traditionally, right, there is, there's an organ system that's, that's incomplete on its own. You know, I'm talk- not talking about our ears here, right? <laughs> Biology majors, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> right? There, there, there's a complementarity that's built into my sexual identity. So if I'm accepting my sexual identity, I'm also accepting the reality of complementarity. Right? Even if it's not actualized physically uh, in my lifetime or after my lifetime, because God says there's no marrying or giving in marriage in heaven. So even if it's not actualized, right? Um, and so the integration of sexuality, the acceptance of sexual identity, again, also includes an acceptance of the purposes of sexuality, which for those of you who didn't learn this in Theology 101, the two purposes of the sexual act, um, are that it's unitive and procreative, right? So that the sexual act unites the spouses and it also has the capacity to be life-giving. And this happens, of course, in marriage, right? The exclusive, just the two of you, indissoluble forever bond of marriage, right? So chastity... Um, again, this integration of sexuality does not mean, if, especially if we're talking about sexuality, sensuality, chastity does not mean like dating around and playing with people's hearts as long as we're not doing too much. Keep that common room door open, you know what I'm saying? Um, 
Chastity also doesn't mean like the eradication of desire, right? If you experience same-sex desires, you don't have to like eradicate that desire in order to be chaste, right? It's, it's an acknowledgement and acceptance of putting that desire in its place, right? It's a surrendering, no matter who we are, right? A surrendering of our desires to God and to God's will so that those desires can seek their true trajectory, right? Which is a love that wills the good of the other according to God's plan for the human person, right? According to God's design. And I'm going to do a little disclaimer here because I did a found an invitation and Obviously, same-sex desire concerns are big on my heart. Um, and <laughs> I think it's also important to note if we're talking about desire, right? If we're talking about um, particularly, you know, sexual desire, if we're talking about a desire for companionship, for love uh, that stirs up in our relationships, I think it's important um, to talk about what do we mean when we talk about same-sex desires specifically. So I'm gonna do a little bit of a sidebar before we hop to the Holy Spirit section, because this is the sexuality symposium. So I figured we're fine with that, all right. Begin sidebar. Okay, so when it comes to our desires, right? And again, I just wanna note this, what I'm gonna say first is desire in general, right? So wherever our desires are stirring up, so this could be a desire for romance, it could be a desire for sex, it could be a desire for Fritos, it could be a lot of things. Um, when it comes to our desire, right, the Catholic, te Catholic teaching considers desire in the realm of the passions, that is the technical term. Um, and so when we think of desires or passions, what does that mean? Like basically more or less it means kind of like feelings or emotions. Uh, the catechism says uh, that feelings or, pa feelings or passions are emotions or movements of the sensitive appetite, more on that in a moment, that incline us to act or not to act in regard to something felt or imagined to be good or evil. What does that mean? So our passions, our emotions are a response to what we sense, sensitive appetite, to what we sense in the concrete world uh, around us that kind of stirs some kind of a response in us, right? That could be watching the news and being stirred by injustice, right? And wanting justice in a situation. It could mean watching one of the beautiful pink, brilliant pollution sunsets here in the Ohio Valley and being stirred to wonder and stirred to the beauty of God in this space, right? Um, it could also mean for me, watching Wonder Woman and feeling a little stirred, not by Chris Pine. Um, <laughs> but by Gal Gadot. Okay. Uh, so, right, it could be a lot of different things, right? Or for some of you, it could be being stirred by Chris Pine. That's great, you know? Um, the passions are natural components of the human psyche. Right? They form the passageway. I'm reading from the catechism right now. The, the passions are natural components of the human psyche. They form the passageway and ensure the connection between the life of the senses and the life of the mind. And here's a nice kicker for us. The passions themselves are neither good nor evil. They are morally qualified only to the extent that they effectively engage reason and will. So what does this mean? That passions, right, are natural. God wants us to be experiencing emotions and feelings. Um, it's what we do with them that counts, right? They're morally qualified to the extent they engage reason. So we're thinking about them, right? And our will, we're choosing to do something about it. 
So you might be wondering, why then do we say that some desires are inordinate or disordered? The sidebar continues. Uh, so some of you, if you've read passages in the catechism specifically about sexuality and seen that, or maybe you've had a friend or a family member be like, wow, doesn't the catechism say people, gay people are disordered? Because that's the tone of voice that asked the question in. No, um, you know, but you might have had that question and been like, I have no idea what to say to that, right? Um, and I think sometimes we see those words, we see those phrases, and it can can feel kind of hard. I know for me, um, I read that and it feels a little confusing. Like, wait, like, am I like worse, right? Like if I'm experiencing these desires, am I like more messed up than like someone who's like completely heterosexual? Like, is there something worse wrong with me? Um, you know, before we can understand what the church means by disordered, we need to understand what she means by order. This word if you can't tell, I like etymology. Uh, also has some Latin roots, like the word integrated, uh, meaning um, like a row or a pattern or a series and progression. So when we say that an action or a desire is ordered morally, we mean that it's directed towards its proper end, right? It's following the trajectory that God intended. Um, so inordinate desire is a general term for desire that isn't ordered, right? So that's what in means in the prefix. Uh, so think of the word like involuntary, right? Involuntary means it's not voluntary, right? So in this case, inordinate means not ordinate, right? Not ordered. Um, and so typically we use this to mean like something that's disproportionate, um, so we might say like an inordinate desire for junk food. So like if you get soft serve ice cream like two times a day in the cafeteria, um, the truth is you probably want ice cream more than is appropriate for your health, okay? So you have an inordinate desire for junk food, for snacks, for soft serve. But if it's a twist cone, you know, go for it. Um, just kidding. Uh, right? Theoretically, though, inordinate could also mean too little. Inordinate could also mean too little, right? It just means not appropriate. So, so think of like a hookup app, right? In a hookup app, like you desire the visceral connection of sex uh, too much, and a desire with like encountering the totality of a person too little, right? So that's still an inordinate desire. So disordered takes it a step further. You were not expecting a vocabulary lesson, I bet, when you walked in here. Uh, disordered takes it a step further. So the prefix dis means away, right? So a dislocated elbow which would not look like this, but I'm just for, for effect, a uh, dislocated elbow is located away from where it should be, right? Where the joint ought to be. Um, so the catechism actually, fun fact, uses the word disordered to describe all concrete sin. Catechism says, 1875, venial sin constitutes a moral disorder that is repairable by charity. Um, so again, we know that the church describes homosexual acts as intrinsically disordered, right? So in other words, by the very nature, they're oriented away from God's plan for sexual integrity, right? For human sexuality. Um, again, it's not unitive, not procreative. 
Um, but I'd also like to know a little known fact. Um, so the church actually uses this language for other things all over the spectrum. So fun fact, lying is intrinsically disordered, according to CCC 1753. And 1856 gives us a gem um, I actually really like. <clears throat> When the sinner's will is set upon something that of its nature involves a disorder, emphasis added, but is not opposed to the love of God or neighbor, such as thoughtless chatter or immoderate laughter and the like, such sins are venial. So the desire to like nervously babble and fill silence, um, that's a disordered desire. According to the catechism, okay? So next time you're talking too much, reel that in, people, okay? Reel it in. Um, again, I'm not trying to like heap on more areas of sin and shame, right? You're like, oh no, I've been acting on my disordered desire. When I keep my roommate up at night with my thoughtless chatter. Um, Maybe you are, maybe you're, that's kind of rude and you should apologize to your roommate, um, right? But the point is simply this, right? How we're experiencing these feelings, how we're experiencing these passions, like doesn't make us like more or less good, right? More or less worthy, more or less holy, right? Every person experiences inordinate and disordered desires, right? As a result of the fall. Um, and it is worth noting, I think that each of these dynamics of love can incorporate some kind of inordinate desire, right? You could be in a mentoring relationship with somebody, right? And you experience like an inordinate or too much like affection for one of the people that you care for, right? Maybe you're giving this particular person like excessive amounts of your time and you're making like kind of weird schedule accommodations for them that you don't really make for anybody else, right? That might not be like sexual desire um, or even romantic, but it's definitely something, right? That's, that's improper, that's a little too much, right? Especially compared to those other dynamics or other relationships. Um, or maybe we could treat a mentor or treat a spiritual director as some kind of like stand-in for our like bad relationship with our mom or our bad relationship with the dad um, and look for too much value or worth in like what they say about us, right? That could be an inordinate uh, desire, right? In that place. It doesn't just have to be sexual. It doesn't have to be sensual, um, but it can play out in some of these different relationships. Um, fortunately, catechism says that strong feelings are not decisive for the morality or the holiness of persons, right? Passions are morally good when they contribute to a good action, evil in the opposite case, right? Emotions and feelings can be taken up into the virtues or perverted by the vices. Again, it's what we do with them that counts, right? True, authentic, real love, like whether it's expressed sexually in marriage or in like 100,000 other ways that we can be loving one another is meant to be life-giving, right? It can be life-giving. And so this third dimension of relationships, so again, looking at places where we, relationships where we primarily receive, relationships of reciprocity, um, and relationships where we're primarily looking to help, right? Places to give. Um, this relational intimacy that's open to, or particularly open to, um, generative possibility. 
I think we see this in a particular way in the life of Mary, right? Super clear way in Mary's fiat, right? Where she's open her, in that relationship with God of real intimacy with God, being open to this generative possibility um, of life, of particular life, right? Of the life of Christ, um, but for us too, like if we're really praying well, like prayer ought to be open up to the possibility, right? Of God's promise, of God's calling, of God's doing something new in us. We need an intimacy with God that's open uh, to loving, to giving to others, right? We see this a lot, um, I think too, in like the charismatic movement as well, right? Being open to the Holy Spirit. Why? Not just like for me, so I can like pray in tongues and like, have a great time standing in a corner doing that, right? Um, but for the gift to the body, right? To be able to be filled with the Spirit so that I can also love my brothers and sisters better, right? So in human intimacy as well, we're invited. Um, it's a unique type of relational intimacy where we're in relationships that are maybe about more about giving, right, where we're serving others. We see this all throughout. Actually, most of Jesus's relationships in the gospels are like this, right? Through, especially through his ministry, his mission, his preaching, his healing, right? These places where he's just pouring out. But I think it's important to note that's not the only type of relationship Jesus has, again, even though he's God, right? He's still receiving. He's still in these relationships of friendship and brotherhood. Um, and these relationships too, they're not just about giving, but also receiving others, right, With, without an agenda. You know, I think the relational intimacy comes in a particular way in the privilege of receiving someone else's heart, right, receiving someone else's life, receiving someone else's vulnerability. Um, and again, this type of, of friendship, this type of relationship can be, can be a great gift uh, as well, right? I mean, this might be a little cliche, but you maybe have heard of like, the difference between like the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, right? The Dead Sea is like so salty, you could basically like float on it, you know, without doing a whole lot. Um, and the Sea of Galilee, though, is fresh with fish in this life. Why? Like the Sea of Galilee has an outlet and the Dead Sea doesn't, right? The Great Salt Lake is the same way in the United States, right? There's no outlet. And so it just kind of evaporates the water off and it just gets progressively saltier over time, right? Um, there's not life, fresh life there, right? There's no outlet, Right, so for us too, we need those relationships of service uh, in our lives as well. So what are some practical tips? I was a catechetics major, uh, so I like to be like, all right, what are we going to do with this information? Right? Um, so I think just a couple things to kind of take with you a little bit from this time. I think in, in relationships where we're primarily receiving, um, I think three little tips here. One, um, acknowledging your need for those relationships and not running <laughs> from relational intimacy in this space. Uh, I don't know about you, um, but I'm definitely a person who experiences a deep drive to be like independent, self-reliant, Googling my way to answers, I don't know about you guys, but during COVID, you know, like months of lockdown, signs of depression. 
you know, ah, yes, I don't need to talk to anybody about this. Google would tell me what I need to know, um, right? But the truth is we need places to, again, to let ourselves be loved, right? To let our guard down, to receive affirmation. You know, I think many of us have like lower opinions of ourselves than we're willing to admit. Like how many of you, don't raise your hand, sorry. High school teacher and me. <laughs> Who's got a little opinion of themselves, right? Oh, but who in here deflects a compliment? Oh, no, no, no. You couldn't possibly mean that. No, no, no. Right? <laughs> How often do you look someone in the eye and say, thank you? Thank you. I received that. Thank you so much. Right? Um, but again, to let ourselves be seen, to let ourselves be loved. So to acknowledge our need for these relationships of receiving. But also too, so acknowledging our need for them, but also being mindful of the form of those relationships, right? This person might be modeling the gaze of God the Father, but they are not God, okay? Okay, we still need to be going to God in prayer. These people are also not your parents, they're not the fam a family member that hurts you. I think a lot of us experience some degree of like rupture or damage or imperfection, right, in our family of origin. And so sometimes it can be easy maybe to place a little too much on a particular like mentoring relationship maybe, like a little too much pressure to like heal or fix or like redeem something. Um, but to, again, to remember like... <laughs> We got to bring that stuff to, got to be bringing that stuff to God as well. Um, also remember those mentoring relationships, they're not your friends. I know I definitely have people, especially in my role, um, I have a lot of people that like come to me for advice and um, I know there's just sometimes too, and it's, I mean, no offense to you 19 year olds in the room, um, but sometimes the 19 year old that's like, well, how are you doing? Like, well, Junior, you're not necessarily the person I'm going to, like, pour this out to, right? But they're, like, digging and prying, and I'm like, thanks, bud. It's, it's, this isn't information for you, right? <laughs> um, but to remember, right, that be mindful of the form of those relationships. Also, an important note, um, your RA is not your spiritual director or your counselor, okay? Um, what's this person's area of expertise? Um, and that's where the primary invitation to intimacy is, right? So again, again, acknowledging your need for these relationships, be mindful of their form. Um, and also thirdly, to, to be bold and to show up in those relationships, right? Those are meant to be spaces for honesty, um, how many of us, when we find people to kind of mentor and guide us, then we like hide our vulnerability and deflect. And they're like, what a, that's what I'm here for. You know, <laughs> don't just lie to me about this, right? Be honest, be real. Um, so again, so those are some things with like kind of these receiving relationships, um, that I think can help us like foster them, like foster them for the long haul, foster them over time. Um, with intentionally reciprocal relationships, again, kind of three things here too. One, uh, in our friendships, I think genuine interest goes a long way. Right? I think being alongside somebody, it can be really easy to take them for granted. Um, but to make sure that like, you're still like showing up in genuine interest about one another. Like I'm still learning things about friends, people I've been friends with for 10 or 15 years. Um, I'm still learning things about them, about their lives, right? About their childhoods, about the crazy things that happened in high school, about the things that are hurting their hearts, right? So to, to show up in that genuine interest, 
Um, but also, too, to kind of recognize that you might be in, sometimes you need to take turns showing up, right? We want to be intentional with our friends, but also to recognize there might be a give and take to those relationships in different seasons, right? Um, sometimes you might be the one that's more in need. Sometimes your friend might be the one that's more in need. Um, and to make sure, yeah, you're taking turns, right? Showing up um, for one another. Um, and to keep in mind too, like our friends that are struggling aren't like our ministry projects. You know, they're not like for you catechetics majors, they're not like practice for youth ministry, you know. <laughs> um, but to recognize like, no, like this is my friend. They might be having a hard time right now, but they're actually way better than me at like 8,000 other things. And so I also need to be learning and growing from them, right? And I think too, in these um, intentionally reciprocal relationships, it's also important too that we, that we make room for more. You know, each friendship is, you know, by its nature, particular, right? In that each person is unique and unrepeatable. So each relational dynamic is going to be different. It's going to be particular. It's going to be unique. Um, but I think reciprocity, though, is still open to the circle expanding, right? Um, if you're feeling a little clicky about your household and you're like, oh, I don't want those new intents to come. They're weirdos, you know? Um, I don't know. Some of us might be rude like that. Um, someday it might be your friend, like marrying and having a spouse, right? The circle necessarily is expanding, right? And I think it's important to get to know each other's context. And that excessive, that there's excessive exclusivity in our friendships. Um, or our dating relationships, right? I mean, we all might know somebody, we might be that person who like disappears when they're dating somebody. Like, where did they go? Oh, they've been dating that person for five months. Yeah. Hope they're doing good. I'll never see them. Right? Um, but when we do that, it closes us off to really rich possibilities for friendship with others. Um, so again, making room for more. Um, and we see this side note. I mean, you could look at this symbolically for kind of going back to the life of Christ and the apostles, right? We see this in the Acts of the Apostles, right? Judas, um, Real tragedy there for the 12. Uh, and yes, there's like a great symbolism and like rounding out the 12 and 12 tribes of Israel. But I think there's also something superhuman about it, which is like, we need to make room for more. If we're going to change the world, we need more of us, right? If we're really going to follow the Lord, we need more people to do this well, to be in friendship with as we go out on mission. Um, and then thirdly, with our primarily giving relationships, um, I think one, to know yourself uh, and grow accordingly. Right? For some of us, uh, the invitation might be to like, be drawn out of ourselves. Maybe this doesn't come easily to us. Like We have our friends, we go to class, we do our sport ball, and our, you know, whatever it is, we're in theater, whatever our activities are, and like we're good. We're good. We don't need to do the works of mercy thing, <laughs> right? Maybe our calling is to be drawn out into more giving relationships. Some of us need to be drawn some lines. Some of us need some boundaries 
Okay, right? I think some of it's, it's also easy for some of us maybe to just gush out. Like our hearts are so big. It's like, I just want to love and help everybody. And sometimes you're just like in everybody's business, you know, because you're like, I care so much, which is awesome and great. And I'm so glad God gave you a big heart. Um, but I think it's also important to like be pacing ourselves, right? Uh, in the ways that we give and to discern really where we're called to give. Um, so to know yourself and grow accordingly, accordingly, right? Do you need to be drawn out um, or do you need to draw some lines or some boundaries? Um, also two, um, to be humble, right? If, if someone's coming to you, if you have an opportunity to give to somebody, to mentor somebody in some way, to recognize, right? That like, again, you don't have all the answers. You're not the expert. You're not their counselor, right? You're not that per, you know, you're not all of that, but to be able to, um, to, to know where you're at and, and just to give from that place, right? Uh, and thirdly, in these relationships of giving, to really remember who it's for, right? These relationships of giving and of service aren't really for you. I know, again, some of us go looking for fulfillment, maybe looking to kind of fill that gap in ourselves, that gap in our hearts um, by all the people we can help, right? I've met a lot of people. I've been in ministry for my entire career. And sometimes even that too, all our service uh, can sometimes be a wall for looking at what's going on with us, right? If we're the ones helping, we definitely don't have problems, right? No way. And sometimes our sense of self can maybe get wrapped up in this as well, right? So I think it's important to remember, like, who are these relationships for? What's my motivation in showing up in them? But again, really, no matter who we are, no matter what we're experiencing, we have this call uh, to broaden community that's with us, um, not only now at school, though, frankly, like Francisca, I think these the years you're here is a great opportunity to participate in community and in diverse community in a really dynamic way, right? But these layers of relationship are really important to us for the long haul in life, like wherever we're going next, uh, to be looking for these different ways, these different dimensions of relationship. Because the truth is, like, <laughs> those longings for love, those longings for intimacy, like, we're, we're placed there by God, Right? Um, those longings for love, those longings for intimacy are, are good longings, right? They're, they're, they're holy longings. Because ultimately, they're this longing for the Lord himself. Right? To be showing up with him in prayer, to be receiving from him, to be opening up our humanity to him, to be open to life-giving possibilities um, in the life of grace. Because when we're doing that, right, when we're showing up for the Lord, with the Lord in our lives of prayer, um, we're going to be so much better by his grace to show up for other people, right? To be honest about those areas where we need to be receiving. Um, and we're going to have the grace and the courage to love and to sacrifice for our friends and those we're serving even when it's hard. Um, again, this call to friendship, <laughs> uh, this call to relationship uh, is a gift. Um, and I hope it's a gift that you'll be able to receive from God and to live out um, during your years here uh, and, and well uh, into the future. Mm -hmm.